Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. By now, I hope you have started to get the sense that the authentic gospel is not about a method of life coaching or a system of feeling better or a, an inexpensive way to get some kind of psychotherapy, but rather the authentic gospel is about the glory of God known in Jesus Christ, revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit that brings us in to the liberating work of God by grace in our lives. The wonder of the gospel is that you have been set free in Christ. And that is the word I want you to hear this morning. Um, you may know you're in bondage this morning. You may know that circumstances of life are crushing down upon you. You may know that the weight of despondency and despair and hopelessness is very real in your life. You may know that you greet each day with a sense of dread about what will happen rather than excitement about what will happen. You may know that the uh, weight of grief is so heavy upon your heart that you are inconsolable. You may know that you are in bondage. And the other part of it is you may be in bondage and you just don't know it. You don't know it because the world has told you that you're free and the world has told you that there's a kind of freedom that you're trying to live out and as a result of that you think you're free but you are in the deepest bondage of all and that is the slavery of sin the slavery of rebellion against God perhaps I can explain it this way when God created the human race he created mankind male and female uh, the human race is not complete without male and female. It's not just it doesn't go on without male and female. It is not complete without male and female. The two coming together. God looked at the man. He said, it's not good that he's alone. That's the only thing, time he ever looked at his creation and said, this isn't good. But he looked at a man and said, this is not good that he is alone. And so the woman was created so that the man and the woman together are complete. See, it's kind of like marriage is a small painting portrait of what God intended the human race to be. A man and a woman coming together and becoming one flesh together. It is something that cannot be recreated in the modern definitions of marriage. It is why we uphold what is called the traditional, it ought to be called the biblical picture of marriage where a man and a woman together love one another and are reflective of the love that Christ has for the church and so that even marriage be becomes an absolute offering of praise to the glory of God. Well, that's how we are created. Male and female, we are created and God said to the man and the woman, he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. They didn't have to ask him, how do we do that? Any more than you would have to ask, how do we do that? It's not as though the human beings got together and designed the sexual relationship. It was designed by God for his glory to be reflected in the human race. 
and the ongoing nature of the human race is to be a hymn of praise to God. It's almost like God is sovereign Lord and majestic King even over the physical intimacy of marriage. That's how God created us. And he said to the man and the woman, he said, look, I give you dominion over this creation. I give you the power over this creation. Now, it wasn't a power of their own. It's not like they came up with it. It's not as though they created the world and therefore they knew the intricacies of how it ran and they could guide the, the movement of planets and stars and, 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 and regulate the, the, the populations of animals and the flora and the fauna of the world. It's not as though they had done that. They had been given a stewardship kind of possession. It was all God's creation, but God said to the man and to the woman, this is yours, you're a steward of it. I give it to you for your possession to have dominion, but understand is to reflect the sovereign rule of God over all the universe. And that's the way he created us. And he said to them, I am giving you as well to possess all things. He said, they're going to feed you. He says, every, every plant, that's yours to eat. He says, I'm going to provide for you. But these material possessions that you're going to have are for yours, for your, uh, for your well-being and for your health. And so God created the man and the woman. He created the human race to live in reflection of the glory of God. In fact, that's what he had in mind all the time. He said, let us make man what? In our image. Let's make man in the image of God, the human race to reflect the glory of God. Now, here's what happened. The serpent came to Eve and said, Eve, I don't think God was all that serious about not eating of the fruit of the tree. In fact, I think God was probably just pulling your leg on this one. I think God had something else in mind. He wanted to keep you from something better. And so Eve stepped out of the position that God had put her in, that of reflecting the glory of God, and she started to look at that fruit on the basis of her own appetite, desires, and mentality. She looked at the fruit and saw that it was a delight to look at. And she decided, you know, I can decide what is beautiful. I can decide what is wonderful in life. She looked at the fruit and saw that it was good to eat. And she decided that she had a better sense of how to satisfy her appetites and needs than God did. She saw that it was able to make one wise. And she decided that her intellect was superior to God's. And in the moment that she considered the fruit in that way, she abandoned God's design for her life. She gave the fruit to her husband, who gave absolutely no hesitation to it, like most guys, mmm, food, eat, now, you know, that kind of thing. And he went right along with her. Now what had happened is that God had created the human race out of the dust of the earth. In other words, we are made up of the same stuff as the rest of the universe. You, know, you might have molecules floating around in you that one time, you know, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, you know, were doing something else. You're a star. 
See, so, so there, there's a sense in which we are made up, you know, just, just like the rest of the universe. Uh, you, you, you can actually look at homo sapiens, human beings, and decide, you know, they, they just like, look like animals. I was going to say very intelligent animals, but the intelligent part is, is in question these days. But, you know, you can look at them and say, well, they're, they're very adaptive primates. You know, they, 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 uh, they, they, they behave in a way that, that looks like they, they, they're figuring things out and they're solving problems. But the bottom line of it is that you look at a homo sapien, you look at a, at a, at a human being, and all you're seeing there is a really smart animal. All you're seeing is flesh, in other words. God designed us that way. He created that way, us that way. But he breathed into us the breath of life. And he gave to us the spiritual capacity to relate to God. And so while there were the same things in human beings that are in all the other species of, uh, on earth, you know, the, the, uh, the, the drives, the appetites, the desires... All those things are in us, but as God designed us, the spiritual relationship with our Creator was an ascendancy over the flesh, an ascendancy over the animal nature or, or aspect of us, if you will, and that spiritually dynamic relationship with the Creator kept the flesh appetites in suppression and under control and in the right place. When we sinned, we gave up the spiritual relationship and we latched on to the fleshly nature of life. And now we live in bondage to the flesh. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, bondage to the flesh. What's he t- he's talking about sex there. Yes? Okay. That got your attention. But it's so much more than that. So much more. See, it's not just that we've distorted the sexual relationship. Do I need to demonstrate to you that we have distorted the sexual relationship? Do I need to demonstrate to you that, that what was designed by God to be the mechanism whereby a man and a woman came together as one flesh to reflect uh, the glory of God in creating the human race, that that's been distorted into being all about our happiness, our well-being? Do I need to demonstrate to you that, that in modern thought, the sexual aspect of human life has been exalted, that that that's the one thing that must be fulfilled? Do I need to demonstrate to you how we have distorted because of our sin the the very definition and, and, and shape and form of what sex really ought to be? We've destroyed that. But the other things we have destroyed, we've destroyed that dominion over the earth that we were supposed to have. And we decided that dominion was all about power, and power was all about me. And I, in my life, it's all about what I can get and what I can acquire. And so we have distorted power. And if you don't think power is distorted, you haven't worked in an office lately. If you don't think power has been distorted, you haven't read the news accounts of the world events. If you don't think the human understanding of what power is all about, you haven't read about the dictators and the tyrants and those who are imposing themselves upon others. It, 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 it runs absolutely rampant throughout the pages of human history. And it's because of our sinful rebellion against God and the resulting enslavement to our sin and enslavement to the flesh. And we have distorted what it means to be the possessors of the land. You know, we're, we're just plain materialistic. Let me just put it that way. 
because of our sin and because of our rebellion, because we are enslaved to the flesh, the desires of the flesh. We want material things because we think that defines who we are. We think if we have more money, that, de that defines security. We think if we have more lands, that, that, that defines status. We think that the person who has the most stuff accumulated around them is the person who is uh, most fulfilled as a human being. That is a distortion of God's design. And it's a result of our enslavement to the flesh and our bondage to the flesh. So think of it this way. We are created as spiritual beings who have a spiritual relationship with the Creator, and that keeps the desires and the, and, and the life of the flesh, that keeps it in its proper place, proper perspectives, so that we can live as complete human beings for the glory of God. That's the design. We lost that because of our sin. Now, with that sort of as, as, a, as a way to think about it, go to Galatians 5.13. Now, Paul has been talking about freedom. We've, we've talked about that the last couple of weeks uh, in, in presenting the authentic gospel. It's not about religion. It's not about rule-keeping and regulations. A relationship with God is not based upon what we do. It is rather based upon what God has done for us in Christ. It is not our merit and our work. It is the grace of God. It is not our righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ for us. It is not something that we have done to reclaim ourselves, but it is the work of Christ on the cross to reclaim us from the depths of our sin. So that, that's the authentic gospel working in there. And Paul first gives his personal um, uh, testimony of how that works in chapters 1 and 2. And then he talks about how this is how God has always worked. You know, the whole thing with Abraham being a child of Abraham, son of Abraham. You remember that from, from a few weeks back. And we, we dwelt there for, for a few months. But now he comes to, to this point, and he's talking about freedom, that we're not children of the bondswoman, we're children of the free woman, that kind of thing. But now he comes to 5.13, he says, you were called to freedom, brothers. But he knows how our minds work. He knows how our minds work. You were given freedom. What's the first thing you think of? Wow, I can do what I want. Wow, I've got a get-out-of-jail-free card. For those of you who care, when the, the Pope gave indulgences to the Crusaders, basically he said, on the basis of my being Pope, I declare that any sin that you may do while on this crusade, uh, you will be forgiven and don't have to pay for it in purgatory. That's a pretty good deal. And don't you know they took advantage of it? But that's what we think. We think, oh, the grace of God, that's, that's a get-out-of-jail-free card. So I get to do what I want. Paul says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom for an opportunity for the, what? Flesh. Do not use your freedom as a license for that aspect of humanity that is tied to the uh, material aspect of who we are. Don't let, let it, don't let it become a freedom for just all kinds of license to those appetites and lusts and desires. Because that's the way you're thinking. You've got to understand what freedom is. What we talked a little bit about last week. Freedom comes to us because of Jesus Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Your membership in a Baptist church didn't set you free. Your religion doesn't set you free. Your goodness doesn't set you free. Your respect in the community doesn't set you free. The blood of Jesus Christ sets you free. Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins and for mine 
giving up his life, dying the death we deserve. That sets us free from the uh, fear of death, from the paralyzing chains and bondage of death. That sets us free from the shackles of sin. That sets us free from the uh, mindless sort of way that we chase after the world. Christ has set us free. So the first thing you got to know is it is Christ who has set us free. It's free in Jesus Christ, and you're called to this freedom, but don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, what's the next word? Serve one another. That's an interesting word, serve. It's the verb version of the noun that's normally translated slave. When Paul says, I, Paul, a slave of Christ, this, this is the family of words that he's using. So when he says, you, you are called and set free in order to serve one another in love, he says, you've been set free to be a slave of love for others. Now suddenly, freedom is, is redirected. You notice how suddenly freedom isn't about who uh, I am and what I get. Freedom is about how God uses me for the sake of his glory in the lives of others. Now, this is totally unreasonable, by the way. I mean, and, and it won't work, right? I mean, I love everybody as long as they stay out of my way. I, I, I love absolutely everybody as long as they don't cut me off in traffic. As long as they don't annoy me, as long as they don't ask money. Now, I, I love everybody as long as they're not unreasonable. I love everybody as long as they don't require some effort from me. So, yeah, I love everybody if... There's a limit to it, though. But, uh, you know, when Jesus came, he didn't put any limits on his love. He didn't say to the leper, I'll love you as long as you keep your distance because you're unclean. To the woman of ill repute, he did not say, I love you, but as long as you stay on the outside so I don't worry about this reputation thing. To the tax collectors, those traitors to the Jewish nation, he didn't say, I'm going to love you as long as we just talk at a distance. Maybe we'll correspond or something. Have your people call my people. But I'll love you as long as I don't have to be seen with you because then they might think I'm, I'm a traitor too. He didn't say to the blind and the lame and the deaf, I love you as long as you understand. I'm not going to deal with you. But I'll love you, man. The love of Jesus brought him in contact with people the world said were untouchable. The love of Jesus brought him in contact with people that everybody knew were wrong. Everybody knew were sinners. Everybody knew God couldn't love those people. Jesus went and he loved those people. Why, the love of Jesus was so great, so magnificent. He even loved professional religious people. That speaks to me because that's an incredible thing for the Son of God to do. He loved them. And so Paul says this freedom that you have, this freedom is so that you can be a servant, so that you can love one another. What else? He says about it here. He says the whole law is fulfilled in one word. When it says one word, obviously, I mean, count the words. There's more than one word of it. In, in, in Hebrew uh, the, and, and in the Semitic mentality, the word word is also the word for thing and so he, he when he says one word 
it, you, you could translate it, the whole law is fulfilled in one commandment. That would be a good way to translate it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now here we understand that Paul was not very original. He kind of like listened to Jesus. Remember, uh, lawyers come up to Jesus. They said, you know, what's the greatest commandment? No. Of all the 600 commandments we've got, what's the greatest? <laughs> Jesus said, well, that's, you know, that's not really hard. It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Then he went on. He said, the second is like unto it. Did you get that? The greatest commandment is to love God with everything you've got. And the second commandment is just like it. It's not like you've got one commandment and you can work on that one or a second commandment and you can work on that one. You've got one thing going on here. Love God with everything you've got and the second one is just like it, connected to it. You're going to love your neighbor like yourself. You cannot separate love of God from love of neighbor. You cannot separate your devotion to the God who created you from those around you whom he also created. That's why the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan just had a, had a jarring impact upon his Jewish audience. They thought, you know, there, there are limits to what you do. You, you don't have to love Samaritans. You don't have to love people who are on the side of the road, and if you go touch them, you're going to be unclean and you can't worship. If you, if you run into somebody and they're on the side of the road, you don't know if they're, if they're just bait for somebody else hiding in the bushes to come out and do the same thing to you. Let's be reasonable. Let's be safe. Let's be prudent here. And so we'll just keep walking by on the other side of the road until this, this worthless uh, sort of Samaritan comes by and says, you know, this, this guy here, he, he is in need. What is love of neighbor? It is the person in need making demands upon me, unreasonable demands. And by the grace of God, he allows me to be a part of meeting those unreasonable demands. That's what Jesus was talking about. He said, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself because it's in, intrinsically tied to loving God. Now, now, Paul picks up on that here. It says the whole law is, is fulfilled, one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. The gospel of Jesus Christ sets you free to love your neighbor. Truly love your neighbor. The gospel of Jesus Christ sets you free to lift your eyes up from, I've got to hang on to my stuff, to the glory of I can share God's stuff with other people. The, 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 the gospel sets us free from this mania for the acquisition of stuff and things that we might be free and generous to give joyfully for the sake of the kingdom. I mean, the, the, the gospel sets us free. We have a freedom in the gospel. And so Paul says, this freedom that you have puts you into service as a servant to love others. That's the kind of freedom we're talking about. Let's read on. It says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. He's just talking about if you're going to squabble in church, look out, you're going to just have trouble. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, earlier on in verse 13, he said, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And here he says, and here's the answer to that. Walk by the Spirit, and you won't satisfy the desires of the flesh. And he's not just saying, oh, well, if you walk by the Spirit, you'll be so holy, you'll, 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 uh, uh, you'll never think about uh, 
those things. Okay. What he's saying is, if you walk in the Spirit, all those things are put under the sovereignty of God. And you won't be controlled by the flesh, but controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. What does that mean? That means you've come back to where God designed you to be in the first place. Designed as a physical being and a spiritual being who is body and is soul. That's why the body is resurrected. That's why God saves the body and the soul. It's not like you've got a soul and this, this body is sort of a, 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 you know, a, a hindrance in a, in a prison house of clay and, and someday these chains will be broken and I'll fly away, you know, that kind of thing. No, God loves the body and the soul. That's who you are. And the salvation that Christ wins for us saves the soul, saves the body. There's a resurrection of the body. But in Christ, we've been set free to have that relationship with our Creator that He designed us to have the whole time, where our lives are giving glory to Him and everything else falls under the sovereignty of God. That's the freedom that we have. And it comes, he says, by walking in the Spirit. Now, what's going to happen in just a, um, a, a little bit is that Paul's going to talk about the works of the flesh, and then he's going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, you, you were probably taught that whenever uh, Paul writes a letter, he has the teaching part in the front and then the practical part in the back, right? You, you, you've heard that. If you haven't, you just did, all right? And the idea is that, well, first he teaches stuff, and then he just gets practical, and we always like the practical stuff better about what to do. Look, this is all one letter. When Paul starts talking about what are the works of the flesh, he is talking about what it is that enslaves us. And when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he's talking about that which sets us free, the work of the Spirit in our lives. So all the way through the, the catalog of, of, of the, uh, the, the, the works of the flesh and the catalog of the fruit of the Spirit, all that is buttressing what he says here. You're called to freedom. And for freedom, Christ has set you free. You see that? I'm not, I'm not going to step further until at least one of you nods yes. <laughs> at least one nods yes in the back row. Randy, bail me out. Just nod yes. No, he's shaking his hand. He's saying he doesn't understand a bit of it. But you got it, right? So that, that's what's happening here. It says, you know, this freedom comes by walking in the Spirit. Let's, let's finish out the paragraph. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. What he's talking about there is when you, when you live apart from the Holy Spirit of God, the only thing left are the desires of the flesh, and then you're being pushed around and knocked around by every little whim and appetite and desire that comes your way. Uh, they're opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's what the law was given for. Before Christ comes, the law was given to keep the desires of the flesh in check, uh, to keep us from really going ballistic with our destructive tendencies. That's why the law was given. Paul comes along and says, well, you're not saved by that law, though. You're saved by the grace of God. That doesn't mean that you can now do what you want, he says in verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're under something even better, the sovereignty of God setting you free to be a servant in love for others, to live for the glory of God as you, as you deal with others. That, that's what you're about. So he says, walk by the Spirit. Now, we're going to be looking at that. When we get to the fruit of the Spirit, we'll look at a little bit of that. 
But basically, here's what you need to keep in mind at this point. Whenever you come to Christ, confess your sins, and let your, just, just set your heart before him to save you. The Bible promises, so we believe and so it happens, God sends the Holy Spirit into your heart and into your life. Actually, he's working long before that, but you, you start to understand that. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of your salvation. And the Holy Spirit is God's gift to every believer to empower us to live for his glory. And that's why we get together and we worship together and believe that the Holy Spirit is working in our midst. That's why we gather together and we read the Scriptures together and believe that the Holy Spirit is a teacher and our guide into the truth of God's Word. That's why we pray together and we believe that the Holy Spirit of God is making intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. That's why as we launch out, we launch out and we say by faith, but all that means is we believe God's Holy Spirit is active and working in our lives and in the world, and God will accomplish His purposes. That's why we are not bound by the rationality of the world, and that's why we are not bound by the narrow thinking of the human mind. That is why we have been set free in the Holy Spirit to dare great things, to live great things, to, to be in Christ great things by God's sovereign will. That's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Paul says, look, if you walk by the Spirit, you're not in that religion thing anymore. If you walk by the Spirit, you're not trying to, to, to earn God's favor anymore. You're just walking in the freedom we have in Christ. And so for freedom, Christ has set you free. It's a freedom won by Christ for the sake of serving others that we might not gratify the flesh and fulfill the desires of the flesh. Now, beloved, why would you reject that kind of freedom? Why would anyone say, no, I don't want freedom in Christ. I, I like that religion thing. Why would anyone say, you know, that, that, that business where Jesus died for me and, and my sins are forgiven and I'm made whole and, and, and given a relationship with the Father and by the power of the Spirit I can now live and walk... Why would anyone reject that and say, no, I'd rather do this nitpicky, rule-keeping, uh, checklist morality where I have to earn merit badges until I get enough points to cash them in for a salvation stamp in my book? Why would you want anything else? Brother and sister in Christ, why would you live any other way when the resources of heaven are yours by the grace of God? Why would you live any other way? Let me, let me um, uh, give you two verses, and with this we'll close. Galatians 5, 24 and 25. Uh, again, uh, what happens in the intervening verses is Paul says, here's what the, the works of the flesh are, and then he says, but here's what the fruit of the Spirit uh, is. And, and so um, in, in, in the intervening verses, he just sort of draws out which direction flesh goes and which direction spirit goes. In our lives. And so in verses 24 and 5, he gives this, this uh, uh, sort of concluding statement. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, and we do, by the way, we don't live by our righteousness, we live by the gracious gift of God's Holy Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. 
This is the aiming point all along. When we start in Galatians 1.1, this is the aiming point. Not that we walk in religion, you know, saved by grace, but walk in religion. But if we've been saved by grace and saved by the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, saved by the Spirit, let us walk in this Holy Spirit who gives us freedom, freedom in Christ for the glory of the Father. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, I thank you for the work you do in our lives. I thank you that you work even when we're unaware of it. Father, you're working even when we're uh, running our lives contrary to you. I thank, I'm thankful that you love us so much. You don't leave us where we are, but you call us up and out and upward to greater things. Father, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I pray now your spirit would descend upon each person in this room that the heart that is wayward and far from you would be brought to the cross. And that brother and sister who is living in the bondage of the flesh would now reach out and by the gift of your grace and the power of your spirit live in the freedom that Christ has won for us. Father, for your glory, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.